I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Alicia Dayartola from the Reign of Troy podcast joins us to break down USC right now on 12-Pack Radio. Oh, South For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, beautiful people, to 12-Pack Radio, the most interesting podcast. In your face, covering Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 basketball news sometimes, and Pac-12 recruiting news. Thank you for joining us. This is Brian Conger, the host of 12-Pack Radio and Wildcat Radio, and we are the home, the official home, of the BetaRank Advanced College Football Statistical Model and the the wizard guru, mathematician, statistician behind that is joining me right now, Mr. Rob Barron. What's going on, Rob? Oh, no, I'm, uh, we're, we're so close to football season. Like, uh, you know, I, I'm getting fans on Twitter telling me my math is dumb because their team's not high enough. Like, we're, 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 <laughs> it feels close. <laughs> and this is part two of our 12-part series where we're breaking down every Pac-12 team. We're going deep. We're bringing on guests from every every team to make sure that we're running our our numbers, our depth charts, and our our prejudices against their teams. Um, we're going to bring them all to light here. And we are joined by, if, if Rob, if there was a scene of us, um, you know, like lighting a cigarette and flipping it in slow motion as the gas station blows up and we're all walking slowly uh, down down the street, Alicia Dayartola would be in this group. I mean, that, this, is, this is how important <laughs> she is to this podcast and to us. Really great <laughs> stuff at Raina Troy. And uh, welcome, welcome back. It's been, it's been a hot minute, Alicia. Yeah, it's it's good to be back. I like the imagery. Uh, fire is is generally a good uh, a good thing to to reference when we're talking about USC at this point. So <laughs> facts, you know, it's fitting. Are, coming out hot, coming out hot. Um, Although I am partial to the the this is fine uh, GIF that's out there. You know, the one with the dog that's sitting in the at the table and everything's on fire, and he's just saying this is fine. That's been my. <laughs> USC uh, image for the year. I just, I'm sure Clay Helton has been in that exact scenario where he's just looking around going like, this is fine. This is, this is great. Everything's fine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's absolutely what he's saying. (laughs) Let's get some housekeeping items real fast. In case you haven't listened to us before, we're 12 pack radio. We cover pack 12 football news. Um, We, we, every week um, we're going to go through and actually we're doing two for Tuesday this week. We're doing USC. And then later in the week, we're doing Washington with our friends at the dog pod. We'll go through every single team, break down every uh, really the advanced statistics. Uh, the position by position and all that stuff. But stay tuned during the during the season. We'll record weekly. We'll provide breakdowns, spreads. I, I went, I went six. Did I go sixty eight? I think I, I don't think I was that good. I think I went sixty four percent against the spread last year. Um, and Rob's numbers, his statistical model, was super helpful in allowing us to identify which teams are good and what units aren't quite as strong as maybe we think they are when we're watching them and stuff. So stay tuned. We'll be recording weekly. You can follow us on Twitter at 12 Pack Radio. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on Google Play, TuneIn Radio, um, Spotify, you name it. We're out there. And Alicia, you have some awesome stuff that you're doing at Raina Troy. I think it's the best coverage of USC football. So where can people find you and what's going on there? 
Oh, thank you. Uh, you can find us on on Twitter at Rain of Troy. You can find me uh, at Penguin of Troy. We're also on Facebook and the podcast is everywhere that you mentioned for your podcast. So uh, yeah, just search Rain of Troy Radio and, you, and you'll find us. But um, yeah, I, I appreciate the, I like that people like the things that we're doing and I'm looking forward to getting the season started so that we can sort of chug along on in actual real football instead of just pulling stuff out of thin air, which is July. Well, speaking of last season, Alicia, um, can you, you know, maybe like you don't have to write a haiku about this, but like, can you just sum up last season? What were the biggest problems with USC as they were going through the 2018 uh, campaign? Now that you mentioned haiku, I'm really bummed that five and seven isn't five <laughs> syllable because I co- totally would have gone run with it. Um, yeah, if I'm going to sum up last season, it's it's five and seven. USC massively underachieved. And when it comes down to it, it's basically just a, a few big points that, that led to that. One, USC had a freshman quarterback that they didn't do a good job of protecting, um, not just in terms of the offensive line, but in terms of play calling, in terms of uh, offensive structure, in terms of protecting him from himself. Everything that happened with JT Daniels, they just didn't do a good job of protecting him. Um, the offensive line was mediocre in pass defense, I mean, in pass protection, in run uh, run blocking as well, which certainly didn't help matters at, uh, as well. On defense, USC didn't have a pass rush, which when you are Clancy Pendergast and run a an aggressive defensive scheme where you put your, your secondary, when you have those guys on an island a lot, when you're not generating a pass rush, you're basically hanging, out, hanging them out to dry, and that's exactly what happened to USC secondary, which wasn't helped by... The fact that USC secondary had a stupid amount of injuries and random suspensions and departures and was basically on their last leg by the end of the season. So, I mean, just, you know, breaking it down into the to the the biggest reasons why USC went went five and seven. That was pretty much everything that happened. And then and then the overarching sort of thing was Clay Helton is a uh, turned out to be more stubborn than he really should have been and didn't change things early enough to basically negate the uh the slide that usc went down once uh once things started to unravel rob we're gonna trade questions off here um and i, I definitely want to go into some of the players to keep a lookout for besides jt uh daniels but do you have any general questions for alicia before we dive into the position breakdowns and all that <laughs> yeah i mean talk a little I, I, I just did the thing that you're not supposed to do talk a little bit about but the um <laughs> The uh, the the big coordinator drama in uh, in LA this this off season, you know, that where Clay Helton, it seems like he has the backing of Lynn Swan to to stick around, reshape the coaching staff, but only the offensive side of the ball. Um, you have the coordinator that everyone wanted, and then you don't have the coordinator that everyone wanted. Um, how do people sort of? Feel, I, I felt like there was a lot of positive momentum that suddenly stopped. And he was so handsome, Alicia. I mean, just a stunning, stunning specimen of a, of a man. He's, he's pretty handsome, but you know what? Graham Harrell's pretty handsome too. <laughs> oh, <there you> go. <laughs> uh, not quite on the same level. I think he, he's not as um, groomed as Cliff Kingsbury was, but yeah, it, it felt like, I don't know, USC fans, it's been a little bit tough because there are little positive things that USC fans can cling to. And then the, the rug just seems to get pulled out from under uh, way too many times. So Cliff Kingsbury was literally the best hire that USC could have made to, uh, to the, for their offensive coordinator to fix the offense. And that rug got pulled, pulled out real quick. 
and there was a huge flood of negativity in January. Brew McCoy transferred away. Like it, like it was like the the scene in uh, Dumb and Dumber when when um, whatever I forget which character it was where he's ranting about you know we got no jobs we got no money our pets heads are falling <laughs> off um, that was basically USC midway through January and then um, to their credit to Clay Hilton's credit I think he did a good job of salvaging that whole situation because it really was beyond his control no one could have foreseen Arizona going out and offering Cliff Kingsbury their head coaching job like that was just outrageous so. USC recovered reasonably well by basically sticking to their guns. Clay Hilton had decided they were going to transition to the air raid. And I, I, for one, am glad that he just made that he stuck with that decision instead of going after someone like Jed Fisher or one of the more boring options that were on the table to say, nah, we're going to stick with the air raid. And we're basically going to go out and get Cliff Kingsbury before he was Cliff Kingsbury. That's exactly who Graham Harrell was. He's Cliff Kingsbury light. And he's less proven, but he he has very much the same profile, just a few years younger. Uh, so there's a lot of positivity actually around Graham Harrell and what USC's offense is going to look like this year, which is not the same level as Cliff Kingsbury would have had it because there's there were more guarantees with him. But in terms of the general direction of of what the plan is for this offense, I think that people are mostly satisfied with uh, the the move that Clay Hilton made. Uh, you know, to, to ultimately fix that situation. And you can see that in Brew McCoy ultimately deciding to transfer back to USC. A lot of that had to do with all of his modern day buddies that are at USC talking up how fun this offense was in spring camp. Yeah. That, and that kind of goes into my next question was how does this offensive system under Graham Harrell work with the personnel that USC has right now? Because sometimes you, you get an offensive coordinator and it takes a year or two to tra- transition. It's different at USC because you're just getting the best players basically in California. Uh, if Washington doesn't pick them off, basically, um, at, at, you get the pick of the litter. And uh, is that transition going to take a while or ha- has this fit in with the system here? Uh, in theory, it should be quick. Um, Graham Harrell's entire offensive philosophy is very simple. It's basically don't think, play. And the offense is going to be stripped down. And uh, the concepts are all going to be pretty simple. And the idea is for USC's players to pick them up quickly and then just go out and play. And like you said, when you have the talent that USC has, that that could work because Michael Pittman and Tyler Vons and Amon St. Brown are flat out better athletes than half the people they're going to be on the field with. And so if you just sort of unshackle them uh, with a more simple offense, in theory, it shouldn't be the kind of thing that that takes a couple of years to embed. The only thing that Graham Harrell is going to have to basically like rewire the brains of USC's uh, of USC's offensive players to that more simplistic style of just trust your athleticism, trust what you're doing and go out and do it. Don't think. Um, and, and so, you know, sometimes that can be the thing that takes a while, which was one of the things, not with the skill position players necessarily, but with the quarterbacks in spring camp, my big complaint about JT Daniels in spring camp was like, and this was something that Graham Harrell himself said too, like, like, dude, you don't need to overthink everything. Like the entire point of this is to break the field up into, into, into smaller chunks. And if you see the one thing that triggers you, you just need to go instead of, you know, seeing a, and then you got to go make sure you B, C and D and E are all in place. Like, no, just see a and go. Sometimes if you've been conditioned to have to see the whole picture, um, it's hard to, speed your mind up to to uh to simplify everything so if there's a hurdle or or something that takes a little bit longer for people to grasp maybe it's that but 
um, even, even that it's really just going to come down to the individuals and the way that they learn and the way that they're able to, you know, rewire their brains, I guess. Yeah. It's hard to see the matrix. <laughs> it takes a while. Yeah, yeah exactly. Especially when you don't need to see the matrix. Like <laughs> if you're just walking across the street, like you don't need to see all of the, the, the code running down the screen or whatever. You just need to get across the street without getting hit by a car. So, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about JT Daniels. We'll cover JT Daniels, but I think there's a lot of people that are listening to this podcast that might not know a ton about USC outside of like JT Daniels and Am- Amon Ross Brown. So who are three, and I know you have excellent talent. So who are three names that, um, that fans or just fans of the PAC 12 should be looking at if they're watching a USC game on, on the offensive side? Yeah, I think that Michael Pittman, uh, Amon Ross Brown is getting a lot of well-due, uh, uh, hype coming into the season, but I think Michael Pittman is set up to have a monster year. Uh, he was the star of spring camp. As far as I was concerned, he just looks otherworldly. And I think this offense really is going to unlock him in ways that, uh, assuming he's healthy, which is always the big question with Michael Pittman, um, that I, I think he's, he's about to have a huge, huge senior season. Um, I could go into the other wide receivers cause USC has a ton of them, but I think I'm going to go to guys who I think are going to benefit most from this offense that weren't household names. I think tight end Josh follow, yeah. is going to benefit greatly from this because uh, that was one of the things is that Graham Harrell does use tight ends. They will be on the field for USC and Josh follow is a receiving tight end who USC is going to be able to get uh, down the seam and get him more involved in the offense. Uh, and I think the tight ends in general will, will be more involved in the offense. I um, mean, not asked to do the things that they were asked to do last year, which was a lot of just the, the dirty sort of blocking work that they were put in position to not succeed. I think that Josh follows, skill set is going to suit this offense better. And then at running back, uh, it would not be me if I didn't mention Vivai Malapai. Uh, he is my dude. Stephen Carr will get his time in the, sh- in the sun, but Vivai Malapai is my dude at running back. Um, he is an all around guy. He can catch the ball. He's uh, powerful when he runs uh, up the middle. He's deceptively fast when he gets outside. Uh, he's, he's got a good nose for the, for finding the hole and just going and I love his physicality. Um, if you watched, I think it was the the like Arizona game or Utah game last year where he just, there were like two plays in a row where he was just like barreling over guys and getting five, six, seven extra yards when he had no business doing so just because of sheer tenacity. So he's my dude. And uh, I know that like my co-host over at Rana Troy gets annoyed with me because I talk him up too much, but I'm done. I'm, it's the off season. If I can't talk him up now, when can I? <laughs> You're like me with tight ends, man. Any anybody that yeah. utilizes a tight end is a good American in terms of coaching. So yeah, I'm glad exactly. to hear that. <laughs> well, but are, is Harold? Because one of the things that I think with this offense that when you think of like the sort of more, more pure air raid and and Harold was a little more. He's not necessarily on the Mike Leach scale where like he doesn't yeah. call run plays, um, but I. I don't know that he's he's fully on the sort of Lincoln Riley scale where he's managed to incorporate power running um, along with, you know, an air raid concepts. But this, this will be different for him than what he had in North Texas. North Texas, they he, you know, he was in a lot of four wides. I expect USC to be in a lot of 11 personnel, like you said, with the, with the tight end out there. Um, do you think that this this offense is is he's that he's going to be able to sort of fully utilize what this offense has to offer or if, if it's not working, you know, are you, or does USC have the depth to sort of stay in four wide all the time? <laughs> See, that's, that's the big curiosity that I have is that at North Texas, 
I mean, he talked about this during the spring, like USC doesn't have enough, enough wide receivers. Like he's used to having 15, 16, 17 wide receivers on his roster. Yeah. And USC had like five during spring camp <laughs> because of injuries and all that. So if there's a reason to sort of bet on tight ends and running backs and, and sort of non wide receivers getting involved in the, in the offense more, it's really this season because USC doesn't have the depth at receiver. USC has the, the talent to be sure, but there's not a ton of depth at wide receiver. Uh, so there will be incentive to say, you know what, Josh follow is going to be our sort of quote unquote fourth wide receiver. Cause we're just going to split him out wide. Um, and, and we're going to swing the ball out to the, to the running backs because those guys are going to need to get the touches that the sixth, seventh or eighth wide receiver uh, in the North Texas offense would have been getting. But those guys aren't as viable options as when you have, when you can throw the ball to Steven Carr or, or however you wanted to do it. Um, so the, the big question is going to be, Graham Harrell didn't have tight ends of this caliber uh, when he was at North Texas. He didn't have running backs of this caliber when he was in North Texas. So how will he adjust to having this kind of talent? Um, it, it's a, a little bit of an unknown quantity. Like for all I know, he could just stick to his guns. And if things are healthy enough, they could just say, screw it. When you can go four wide with Michael Pittman, Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vons and Vilas Jones or Devin Williams or Kyle Ford or any one of these, these guys like, screw it. Let's just go four wide. But, um, the talk in the spring was definitely the tight ends will have a role. They recruited tight ends into this offense. Um, and they've been talking up the, the running game as well. So it won't, I, I think it, it'll be a new look for Graham Harrell, but the way it all comes together is just going to have to be a wait and see kind of, kind of deal because at this stage, we just haven't seen enough. Well, the offense starts at the top. And you have JT Daniels as a true freshman, 59% completion rate, about 2,600 yards, 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and a gazillion 50-50 balls, which I'm sure Rob will mention. I mean, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of just throw it up there and go get it, young man. Um, but he was a true freshman. And it was – I felt bad for him because there was so much coverage on him from – in regard whether it was Fox or the Pac-12 Network or ESPN. I mean, the camera was just always on him. They were just – giving him a back massage. I'm like, he's a true freshman. It's going to take him a little while because he wasn't the second coming. You know, I think people get spoiled with some of these sec quarterbacks that just go on and win a national championship as a true freshman. Most people aren't like that. And turns out JT Daniels wasn't either. And I like your coverage of USC because you're not afraid to talk about Jack Sears and the fact that there is a second quarterback and there are other options, but it, it seems like JT Daniels is going to be the guy. And what was the biggest hindrance that he faced um, as a true freshman and where are the areas you think he can kind of excel now um, and really step up how he can lead this offense? Yeah, I think his biggest issue was that, like I got at earlier, USC didn't protect him from himself, from opposing defenses, from anything. Uh, USC put too much on his shoulders and he was the kind of quarterback that's talented enough to have stuff thrown on his shoulders and sort of shrug and go, okay, I'll try. Um, and then you get 50, 50 balls left and right, because what else is he going to do? Uh, so I think that, um, that's the area that was, that was the most frustrating for me with him uh, is that he did try to do a lot of hero ball in his own way and it just didn't work out. And this season, what my hope will be is that USC reels him in a little bit by having an identity on offense that isn't just let the quarterback go out and win the game. Um, he's going to be able to hopefully lean on this system a little bit more, uh, lean on a, on an offensive coordinator who knows what he wants to do and asks him to do things a little bit more simply 
but while also getting to show off the clear arm talent that he has, I am going to assume until we get to the stage, you know, later in August when USC names the starting quarterback, I'm going to assume that it's going to be JT Daniels. Uh, so I'm sort of going forward and looking at it like that. That's, that's where I'm at. But at the same time, you know, maybe he will benefit from a little bit more competition because last year, honestly, Matt Fink and Jack Sears were really bad in the off season. Like it, it wasn't really even close when they got down to, to naming the the starter uh, by uh, by the couple weeks before the start of the season, JT Daniels was just far and away ahead of everybody else. Uh, whereas I think Jack Sears and Matt Fink were, have closed the gap a little bit uh, this offseason, as you would hope. Uh, so maybe some more competition will light a fire under him. Um, maybe they will ultimately go with Jack Sears, and that'll bring a more athletic element, sort of more playing element uh, to the offense that they're, that they're looking for. But uh, the quarterback situation at this stage, it's it's you just sort of have to hope that if you're a USC fan, you have to hope that Graham Harrell does a better job of managing his quarterback and mining the talent that's there because JT Daniels does have a really great arm and he does have a really great mind for the game, but he's definitely the prime candidate for someone who maybe overthinks and doesn't just go out and, you know, sling it the way that you would, you would want him to. Um, and that's not even getting into, you know, maybe the offensive line could block for him every once in a while this time around. That would be nice. I mean, when you look at, I mean, I'm, I'm going to throw out some stats here. You know, this offense created out at 85 last season at beta rank. I mean, that's, that's bad. Terrible. Um, and they're, and you know, one of the main metrics that beta rank measures is drive efficiency, which sort of, you know, accounting for everything else like are you able you know considering your opponent and your starting field position did you put up points and they ranked 112 at that i mean they really struggled to stay on the field um and negative drives they were at 72 i mean that's a lot of three and outs but one of the things that really stands out to me and we had this conversation last season about how much talent you know the trojans had at running back you know how many returning starters they had on the offensive line they created out 99 an effective rush running the football. Um, I mean, so there's, there's some JT Daniels, like JT Daniels needs to find the check down. If, you know, I watched a lot of Washington state last season, Gardner Minshew made a living on the check down. It's oh, available so in the air raid. Yeah. It's available in the area. You'll find it. Um, but the, I mean, can USC, I mean, I, I, the, the offensive line blocking, the run blocking was, was terrible last season. I mean, can USC run the football? Like, you know, is is, is any of that corrected? I think because I think Daniels, if he has something to lean on, could could be better if he doesn't feel like he has to carry the load. Yeah, and that was actually a big, big part of of him carrying the load. Is I was watching games at times last year. I, I do these, I do rewatches uh, after each game for our our Patreon um, uh, campaign. And I remember like two or three times I'm watching games going like, okay, are, are other teams loading the box against USC to prevent them from running? And I'd be sitting there going like, other teams are begging USC to run and USC won't run because USC doesn't trust that their offensive line can lay a block, like that each one of the five can lay a block in, in succession. Like it, it was very bad at points. The If you want to look at a positive perspective on that, Tim Drevno has taken over full-time as USC's offensive line coach, which should have been all along. And one of the big things that they've done this offseason is they've gone they've gone down and, and simplified the blocking schemes. Graham Harrell has something like, you know, there's like four or five different schemes and that's it uh, for um, uh, for the, the offensive line. Like there's like two different ones for running and two different ones for passing and that's it. So um, 
the I know there's a more technical way of describing that, but <laughs> but basically they're stripping it all down and trying to put USC's offensive linemen uh, in in positions where they're not going to be overwhelmed by what it is that they're being asked to do and trusting. And this is something that I've been frustrated with USC for a long time. When you recruit like USC, you should be able to trust your offensive linemen to just go out there and win their battles. And USC, it felt like over the past few years has not has not done that. Um, and they've they did a lot of pulling and did a lot of this, that, and the other things, sort of zone stuff where everyone was missing, uh, not on the same page and, and all these kinds of things. So the hope will be that by simplifying everything, players will be on the same page more often and they'll be able to focus more on the technique stuff that will help them win win their battles in a physical sense uh, more often, which is, is really the big thing that they have to come through with uh, this season. Cause you know, I put this on, I want to say I, I was talking to someone on Twitter today. I was like, no amount of air raid is going to going to, to um, make up for truly bad offensive line plays. So the air raid might help a little bit by taking some pressure off of them in terms of what they're asked to do. But that line still has to take a huge step forward in order for USC to fix this offense. Um, but Again, as with all things with USC, there's a lot of talent up there. Like it's not yeah. like these are, you know, scrubs. Like these are four four star, five star kind of guys uh, with NFL sort of uh, assets that, that when they were coming out of high school. So somebody's just got to whip them into shape. Well, I think the other thing on the line too, if you're looking at the optimistic side about USC's run game and ability to move the ball on the ground and in pass protection as well, is that a lot of the players on the offensive line last year were young. I mean, Austin Jackson was a sophomore. Elijah Vera Tucker was a redshirt freshman. I mean, like you had a number, mm-hmm. I think, uh, is it Voorhees? Is that how you say his name? Yeah. Yeah. Voorhees was a sophomore as well. Yeah. I mean, th- there's, there's a lot of guys there that um, really were trying to find their sea legs. Uh, one of the things that I'm worried about though is like Clay Helton went gangbusters on recruiting for, I think one or two years and that dropped off last year. I'm just curious, is, is there the depth on that line behind the, basically the starting five that you have? Um, you know, if there's an injury or two, is that line in a good position to at least, you know, hold the line basically on, on the, the ability to protect and the ability to run? Um, not particularly. And that is definitely a concern. Uh, it's not, I guess, I guess it depends on what position and, and the good thing that USC has done in, in offensive line recruiting is that they've recruited a lot of guys that they've looked at for versatility specifically. So for instance, at center, Brett Nealon is going to be the starter, but behind him, Justin Dietrich was the number two center coming out of high school and is a really sort of, I, he's a, a prospect that I really like in terms of his attitude. He can also play guard. So there's some extra um, depth for USC at guard. They've got, half of their guards can play tackle and half of their tackles can play guard. You know, it just depends on how you line it up. But when you, when you do like during spring camp, they had some injuries. And once you dug down a little bit, the second team line was vastly below way, way, way below the first team line in terms of quality. And it actually hurt the quarterback battle quite a bit in my opinion, because whoever was with the first team offensive line looked a hell of a lot better than whoever was with the second team (laughs) offensive line pretty much every day. Um, The good news is that USC goes into fall camp. They've added Drew Richmond, who is a a graduate transfer from Tennessee Had a lot of starting experience at Tennessee was a highly rated recruit coming out. So he'll help the, the depth at tackle Uh, Clayton Bradley was injured this spring. So he wasn't available and he was injured for much of last season as well. He was, he can play both sides uh, at tackle and then Bernard Shermer was a Juco transfer that USC brought in last year that 
Uh, didn't really get a lot of playing time, but it seemed like he took a while to settle in. He'll be back for fall camp as well, uh, at least presumably. So th- there are bodies at tackle. It's just that the trust that you might have in the guys once you take a step down uh, definitely takes a little bit of a, a little bit of a dive, depending on what position that you're talking about. Uh, so at, at tackle, I'm a little bit more certain of things than I am at guard. If there's an injury crisis at guard. Um, yeah, it, it, it could get a little, a little tricky there, uh, very quickly, but at the same time, if you need to, you can move some guys over and have some versatility and, and maybe it would work out. Okay. I had a friend and then go ahead and jump in Rob that didn't know anything about football at all, but he's a really smart guy. And he said, Oh yeah, everybody in my office talks about football. And so when they ask me about a team, I always say, Oh, they'll be really good. As long as the offensive line holds up, which is really <laughs> true for any team. It's like, that's a really smart Absolutely. thing to say. <laughs> You know, this, this off season, I've been doing, um, a, a countdown to, to the, to kickoff. So I've been looking at like the numbers. So I, I've been like today was the, or the day that we're recording, this was 51 days until USC, um, kicks off against Fresno state. And so I've been looking at each number and going through the sort of history of USC by doing so the, the truth is that USC was running back you when they were running back you because they were producing offensive linemen like freaking crazy. Like those teams that were winning uh, OJ Simpson, Marcus Allen, Charles white, all those guys, uh, those teams were built on offensive line. And I know that that's like, I don't think that's, I'm not saying anything that's like particularly insightful or anything about that, but sometimes I think that USC fans and I think football fans in general forget that just because you recruit the five-star running back doesn't mean that you're going to have a great running game it all really does start in the trenches. And that's one area that USC basically let, uh, let falter a little bit um, by mismanagement of coaches and by uh, not having it be a, a primary focus in recruiting for a few years. Like that's really where USC suffered. So that's where the turnaround is going to have to come from. So <clears throat> I have a question just as, as we switch to the air raid, which which running back is the best route runner? Like who's gonna who's gonna stay on the field and you know like uh, be, because you know they they can run they can run the routes. Is it like Carr, Malapai? I mean, like people really like Step coming out of spring. Yeah. You know who's who's ready for that? Step's really exciting, but he's very much still a runner. So I think his role is still going to be a little bit limited because I don't think they trust him as a, a blocker or a receiver yet. Um, and, and he's still young. He's, he's still got to build those skill sets. Um, Steven Carr, there has been talk that if things got bad enough for USC at receiver, that you could throw Steven Carr in as a slot receiver if you really needed to. So that should tell you something about, um, what he can bring to the table in terms of route running and catching the ball out of the backfield. He can be an explosive playmaker in that sense. So just to answer that specifically, I think they will definitely want Steven Carr out on the field, but Vimalapea is the best blocker of those three. Uh, he's probably the best in the middle of all of them. Um, if if Step is the most exciting runner and Carr is the most exciting pass catcher, then then Vivai is the the sort of guy that that bridges all of those gaps and is able to do everything a little bit, you know, quite well. Um, and one thing that I think you're going to see out of this offense too, we talked a little bit about sort of what. What uh, personnel are they going to run with and, and all that kind of stuff in spring cam? Now, this was partially because they were dealing with injuries at receiver and at tight end at times. So I, I'm curious how often we're going to see this um, it, once we get to the actual season. But they were not afraid to throw out a two-back set. 
And I think that's the most intriguing thing for me, because if you can have Carr and Malapai uh, on the field uh, together at the same time, I think you get a little bit of the best of both worlds with Carr's passing prowess and Malapai's all around ability and, and ability to, to pitch in as a blocker. Um, I really like that look. Uh, but again, I'm not sure how, how often that's going to be out there, but both of those guys I think could certainly make their case for being the guy that USC wants on the field more often. We're talking USC football with Raina Troy's Alicia De Artola. Did we get sponsored this week? We don't know. I don't know. We'll find out right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Sometimes, sometimes we hit, I'll do a commercial break and then we don't get a sponsorship because they insert them. <laughs> so, yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, we're back here with Alicia D'Artola from Reina Troy and the Reina Troy podcast. Uh, just awesome coverage of USC football. Alicia, we know about Amon Ross St. Brown. And for the beginning of the, I say the first half of the year, JT Daniels was kind of in this tunnel vision because, you know, they were teammates in high school. And it just seemed like he was so focused and laser focused on St. Brown that he forgot that Michael Pittman and, T- and Tyler Vons were freaking awesome and would start on any other team and be their number one wide receiver. And then a little bit further out in the year, it seemed like that started to click. You saw more passes to Pittman, more passes to Vons. Can you talk to us a little bit about what makes both of those guys so explosive and, and the different skill sets that they have at USC? Yeah, Michael Pittman is just a freak athlete. Uh, He's big. He's so much faster than it feels like he should be allowed to be at his size. He uses his body really well. Um, He battles for for the ball. Um, uh, He's just he's one of those players who if if he can stay healthy, this has been the big thing for him is that he he picks up these sort of shoulder things and ankle things and little things that, that hamper him a little bit. But I think what you saw towards the end of the season, not just building some, some chemistry with JT Daniels, but by the end of the season, he was much more healthy than he was at the start of the season when he was dealing with a little bit of like an AC AC shoulder sprain and, and, and the like. So Pittman just brings that kind of ridiculous physicality to the table that I think um, is really, really difficult for DBs to deal with because someone who's that big, strong and fast all wrapped in one uh, is, you know, what, what are you going to, what are you supposed to do if you're a cornerback covering him? Um, Tyler Vaughn just has just, like, he's just super uh, committed to his craft. So he runs routes really effectively. Um, he, I think he, uh, I don't, I forget who I, I heard somebody say this. And as soon as I heard them say it, I was like, oh yeah, that describes uh, Tyler Vaughn. He just uses the sideline so well, uh, uses it to his advantage because he has such good body control. Um, he, I think that he might be the most underrated player on USC's roster going into this year because Pittman and Amon Ross St. Brown can, can get more of the high, more of the, uh, the, the headlines than him because he didn't have a great 2018 season, but when he's on, he's, he's just, you know, he, he brings more to the table than, than his athlete. Like if, if, if Michael Pittman is sort of max athleticism in the, in the, if you wanted to, make it into a video game, 
like Tyler Vaughn's is just all of work ethic and, and putting his head down and getting to work and just doing everything sort of, uh, putting his craft ahead of everything like that. I, I think that he, he could be the guy that, that surprises a lot of people because in this offense, I think that there's a really good chance that his just precise route running and, and, uh, body control and everything like that will make him one of the, one of the guys that USC is most comfortable targeting more often. Cause he's going to be exactly where you need him to be every single time. I wish they had great hang and heart, you know, as uh, NCA Xbox. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that's how I when I talk about football players, I can't help but like in my mind, I'm putting together like what would he what would the numbers look like on the like his speed wouldn't be in the 90s. But, you know, the, the, the immeasurables that you that you have out there, you can sort of raise those up a little bit. Well, Gus Johnson, the you know hero to everybody, great American Gus Johnson, was uh, announcing a Michigan State football game, and the um, wide receiver gets a pass, and like it bounces off of his chest, and the other wide receiver catches it and runs into the end zone, and Gus Johnson goes like, "Michael Johnson, awareness ninety nine and he's screaming <laughs> in the microphone, I'm like, "Oh, I love this guy. How come he can't? How come he can't announce NCAA games anymore? He's the best." But. Oh, that's amazing! I love it. So let's uh, let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball, which is a bit of a bigger question mark. I was honestly a little surprised that they only made a move on one coordinator because the defense last year wasn't great for how much they had returning. Um, and yes, they had some injuries, absolutely. Uh, but they only graded out at 52 in beta rank. Um, and they were they were mostly right around that on most of their numbers. I mean, they could really improve on, on trying to get more three and outs with uh, negative drives. Um, they were a little worse against the run grading out, uh, at 61 versus 40 against the pass. But I think the main statistic that sort of jumps out at me as we come into this season is USC ranks 117 in returning production on defense. I mean, there's gonna be a lot of new faces, uh, this year and a lot, and a lot less experience and, um, experience, returning production is less correlated with defense. So, uh, recruiting is actually more correlated. Like you need guys with a fast switch and a high motor on defense. Um, but do, do you, does, is it, do people feel comfortable coming into this season? I know all the, all the focus is on the offense and installing the air raid and, and, and the defense is sort of flying under the radar, but, um, it, it's it's definitely one of the ones that has a big question mark because they weren't terribly good last year and they most of their you know big name players are gone. Yeah, as as best I can tell, Clancy Pendergast was very like you know very much on the line there, and I think he personally I think he talked his way out of getting fired, um, probably by going to Clay Helton and saying. Uh, let me just show you a list of all the guys I had injured all season and then go ahead and yeah. fire me. If you look at that list Especially and tell me that's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, in pass rush, I mean, they struggled to get to the QB after oh, Justin's injury. Yeah, basically, basically. And, and I think a lot of that was if there's any, if, if there's hope for the, for the defense this year, it's definitely that even though they struggled to get to the QB last year, Part of that is because so many of the guys up front were redshirt freshmen or second year guys. You know, USC was relying on a lot of young first time starters uh, up front there. And once Gustin was gone, they didn't really have uh, the consistency that they needed, the kind of consistency that I think you gain from experience. And particularly in those positions, uh, experience weighs pretty heavily, uh, in my opinion, towards performance. So the defensive line returns most of most everybody 
which is a big boon because the secondary returns literally nobody. Um, So, yeah, I I think you're right that the offense is overshadowing everything. I think so much of the defense is wait and see. And I think it's interesting you brought up that returning production is not as important as uh, recruiting when it comes to sort of, I guess, predictors on these kinds of things. That might be where you can let go of some of the anxiety when it comes to USC's uh, defense because they've done nothing but recruit well. So, you know, when, when you're talking about safeties, you know, yeah, you lose the the starting safeties from last year, but Talano Hafanga and Isaiah Polamau are really, really exciting young prospects. And you talk about the corners that they lost and Iman Marshall is going to be a huge loss that I think isn't getting talked about enough. But I was about to ask, I was going to ask you a follow up just on that because he had a terrific year, totally under the radar last year. Completely underrated last year. He had some big moments where he gave up some big plays, which has always been sort of his profile because uh, sometimes he gets a little handsy and sometimes he's not quick enough to keep up with guys. Uh, But uh, Amon Marshall was outstanding for pretty much 90% of the year. And I don't think he got nearly as much credit as he should have done. Um, But with him gone now, that's going to be something that USC won't be able to feel uh, worry-free on one side of the ball at all, in all games because you really didn't need to worry about uh, Biggie against against whoever he was going up against. He pretty much kept everyone he went against quiet. The On the flip side, though, is that when you're replacing him on Marshall and opposite him, Isaiah Langley, with five-star recruits like Elijah Griffin and Isaac Taylor Stewart and maybe Chris Steele, um, you know, that's that's recruiting. That's talent, right? Like... Um, I, I don't know how quickly those guys are going to be able to step in and, and be consistent, uh, and, and live up to their athleticism. But USC also brought in a, they didn't bring a new defensive coordinator, but they did bring in a new defensive backs coach. So there is maybe a little bit of, well, maybe a new coach will get more things out of, out of this secondary. So, uh, so much of it is unknowns though, that you can either look at it and say, well, it's going to be really rough. Or you can look at it and say, well, I guess we're going to have to wait and see because unquestionably you're bringing in players who are top, 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 top tier elite talents. Like you lose Cameron Smith. Yes. But Paula Ianateote at linebacker, just to to shift over to linebacker really quick. Paula Ianateote is, he has all American written all over him. Like all American junior Seau level, um, like legend, like USC fans think you should just give him the number 55 right now because that's how promising he looks. So yes, it's a big deal to lose Cam Smith, but look who's coming in behind him. Uh, yes, it's a big deal to, to lose him on Marshall, but it's not like you don't have somebody good coming in behind him. It, it, it's, it's, it's losing Marvell tell sucks, but Talano Hofanga looks like, you know, a, a short haired Troy Palomalu. So, you know, that not to get, not to get uh, hyperbolic or anything like that, but that's the way you can look at things when you're a USC fan. Well, let's, let's go into the secondary because I'm, and I'm glad you talked to, about a lot of these players because, and, and if you're not a USC fan or you're, you're a USC fan that doesn't follow recruiting. Um, so Troy Palomalu, I think Isaiah, is it, how do you say his name? Isaiah Palomalu? Isaiah Palomalu. Yeah. He's his uh, nephew or Something cousin like that. or. Yeah, <laughs> but he so he was the number three safety in the 2017 class and is slated to to start. Um, Talanoa Funga is the number three athlete in 2018 and he's slated to be strong safety. 
Um, you have a Nickelback who is the number five athlete in the country in Chase Williams. <laughs> Elijah yep. Griffin was the number three cornerback in the 2018 class, followed by Greg Johnson, who was the number four athlete of the 2017 class. Isaiah, um, I- Isaac Taylor Stewart was the number five corner in 2018. Like you guys are so stacked in terms of pedigree and talent on paper yeah. on the secondary. So I, that's like the big, so I forget who it was, but one of the Pac-12 uh, announcers had tweeted out, like, what unit are you looking at most? And it was like ASU quarterback. And my my response was USC secondary, because this could be super boon or super bust in regards to, and I guess it could be something in between, right? Because there's a bunch of young guys trying to figure out what's going on. But it is by far the most fascinating unit, I think, in the Pac-12 this year, just because there's so much talent on the field. I think you're absolutely right to call it boom or bust, especially because... Every single one that I've talked about, I think with the exception of, of you brought up Chase Williams, pretty much everyone in that secondary has not so great injury records so far. I mean, they're all pretty young, but like Chase Williams, the only one who's been healthy the whole time. Elijah Griffin had injuries. Isaiah Taylor Stewart had injuries. Isaiah Plomau has had shoulder surgery two years in a row. Um, uh, Talano Hofanga has broken his collarbone twice in the last nine months. So, you know, I think it could, it could could go really wrong. Uh, not just with, in terms of you, a, you need them all to pan out in terms of their talent and the coaching and the scheme and all that kind of stuff. B, you need them to stay all healthy and, and C, you need the pass rush, the, the defensive front to come around a, uh, enough so that Clancy Pendergast's uh, aggressive scheme doesn't hang them all out to dry. Like you need a lot of things to come together. If they come together, USC's defense will be absolutely fine. It's just, there's like five ifs in there. Like it's, it's a lot of if thens, if thens, if thens. And uh, my worry is if one of those things fall apart, falls apart, what will it do for the, like, what will the ripple effect of that be? Yeah. And it's Pendergast has had some, some decent defenses at USC. Um, I would say he's yet to have a great defense at USC. Um, in any of his I think years, arguably of, his his best defense was probably 2013. No, his best 2013 was a I forgot that he went all the way back that far. That was yeah. that, that graded out at number nine in beta rank. That was a yeah. that was a very good defense. Um, but he's he hasn't been back inside the top ten. In fact, the closest yeah. he's been back is in 2016. They graded out at 25. Mm. Um, you know, like he's really got a. I think he's really got his work cut out for him this season. Um, but I have a question. So this, everyone, everyone, when they focus on special teams, always focuses on the punter and the kicker. It's it's actually usually more about your coverage units. But USC wasn't great on special teams last season. They graded out at seventy three in beta rank. They have a ton of they have a ton of guys that were four and five star recruits on the coverage and block you know kick blocking teams and punt blocking teams who just weren't doing their jobs. <laughs> like. And and the and the the most frustrating thing from the USC perspective on this is, I watched every practice that USC had in the 2018 calendar year. They spent a lot of time on special teams. They spend more time on special teams, I'd wager, than pretty much every other team out there in the Pac-12. They devote, you know, maybe just slightly less than a third of every practice to special teams. There was no excuse for how bad that special teams unit was because it was bad across. And you're right. It wasn't just, you know, the, the, the punters were not good. The kickers, there was stuff going on there with the injury and all that kind of stuff. But like, the return, the, the the coverage, the the returns, they were all just 
they didn't look well coached, which I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't really explain it. I, I thought that special teams was going to improve this past year because they were going to have less true freshmen on that unit than they'd had the year before because they sort of loaded up and then they had a lot of guys that were sort of the the, the just the way that the roster shook out. It was supposed to be a lot of more sophomores coming in and doing the same job that they had been doing the year before because they weren't going to be starters or, or whatever it was going to be. And that didn't come to pass at all. So honestly, I have I have no answers for you on that because it was completely inexcusable what USC special teams did, considering that it wasn't for lack of practice. Rob's talking special teams in the middle of the podcast. What's going on, Rob? What's going on? <laughs> hey, hey, special teams matter. Hey, right? but for once, USC fans might want to talk special teams, though, because I uh, picked up a, an Aussie uh, punter, Ben Griffiths. Dude is legit. Like, I, I'm low-key excited to watch the sort of punt unit go out uh, this coming year because he's got a leg on him. And I think it will be much more fun to watch uh, watch Ben Griffiths go out there and, and uh, pull some, some Utah stuff on, on people this year. So... That's something to be excited That's about. That's what I was going to say. Wake me when they when he comes with Utah special teams coaching staff. <laughs> then I think I'll yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those guys are awesome. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to go back to linebacker here because it seems like USC has changed up its scheme. Like the outside guys are going inside, and obviously you lose a major piece on that on that line. But uh, when, when you're talking about Naote Ote, like that guy was the number two offensive lineman of his class, and he is going to be so nasty. But it, how versatile is he? Is he more of just of a, I'm going to be in my spot and this is what I'm going to do? Or does does he allow you guys to do some one – of, one of the fun things about USC's past defenses is you had people that had such a strong talent um, – ability that it, it kind of covered for other things. So you could be more aggressive on the left side or you could be more aggressive on the le- the right side or like the center of your, your defense was pretty much locked down because you guys were so fast and so strong. Is he that type of player? And what is the scheme on that, uh, on that linebacking core? Yeah. So the linebacking core has completely been reworked. Um, and, and he himself has moved position from la- positions from last year. Last year, he was the understudy to Cam Smith at middle linebacker. Um, this year they've moved him to the will, which for all intents and purposes in this defense, the, the, the Mike and the will uh, do a lot of the same things. Clancy Pendergast has called them virtually uh, um, interchangeable at times. The Mike just really handles all the calls and has to to do a little bit more of the like identifying, um, uh, identifying what the offense is doing and, and then adjusting for that. So they're basically taking that responsibility away from him, moving more veteran players like John Houston and Jordan Iacefa into that middle linebacker role while moving him over to the weak side spot, which will allow him to be, to play downhill. That's that's basically the the whole idea behind uh, Naoteote at the will is just get him, you know, you can put him down in the line of scrimmage, you can put him wherever, where, anywhere on the field, wherever you want to throw him. Basically, he's just going to go sniff out the ball. Um, which I think will definitely suit his skill set because he is big, fast, strong, and just super uber aggressive. And that got him into trouble last year. That's why Clancy Pendergast kind of had him in the doghouse for a little bit uh, because when he was filling in for Cam Smith, he was maybe going a little bit too hot at times. Um, and so that's going to be an in- intriguing thing to, to follow. But I do think he is versatile enough that they can use him in a lot of different ways. Last year, he started at middle linebacker, but he also had a start um, out at the, the Sam spot, sort of when they played Washington state, they sort of did, they tweaked the defense a little bit and had him, 
um, as a, as a, an auxiliary linebacker. So he can, he can go out there and sort of be, I think they'd call it like the dime linebacker, I suppose. Um, but he's just such an Uber talent that I, I suspect they'll just have him wherever on the field that he's going to be able to get the ball, get to the ball quickest. Uh, and, and, and the, the veterans that, that they have out there are going to free him up to, to do that. Um, the only question is whether or not John Houston, uh, is, is big enough to be a really effective inside linebacker. Um, he's continuing to put on weight. And then the big question is, is Jordan ISF a, like, I don't know, athletic enough yeah, to they, be a they, good understudy there too. They seem like serviceable guys on the yeah. inside, but not, not that typical USC. Oh my dear God, I have to like deal with this person all the, for this entire game. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not Teote. No, not Teote is like, Oh my dear God, yeah. wh- what, what am I supposed to do with this guy? The other guys are just sort of going to do their role, but that can work out uh, so long as all of the other pieces in the puzzle are are taking care of their jobs. And you guys are bringing in that strong side linebacker more in special packages. Is that right? I think you're putting more people on the, with the hands in the dirt or what was, what was the switch that happened there? Yeah. So basically um, two years ago, uh, or I guess it was three years ago, Achena Nwosu um, and Port Augustine sort of Chenna was opposite Port Augustine. So Porter was the predator, which was sort of the, the hand in the dirt, um, defensive end outside linebacker hybrid. And then opposite him at the Sam, they had Chenna Nwosu, who was also a little bit more of a defensive end outside linebacker kind of hybrid. And I think what they found these last two years, once Chenna Nwosu graduated is that, um, not everyone can be as good as him. I mean, he was an all American. He sort of did everything. He's in the NFL. Now he's starting for the, or playing for the chargers. So, um, they didn't really have the athlete that they needed at that position and it didn't quite work. And then they figured out basically that Port Augustine is the only person alive who was capable of doing the predator job that they were asking him to do, uh, to be the hybrid defensive end and, and outside linebacker. So, once those athletes left, they were they were basically left with the guys who we have playing those spots are insufficient um, for, for, for what their role is. So they've switched the defensive front to be a little bit more of a traditional. Uh, they're going to more four down linemen. Chris Rector, Christian Rector, uh, who was the guy who took over for Port Augustine last year, who did OK, but he clearly wasn't suited to be Port Augustine there. He is more of a defensive end. So that's what they're letting him be. They're letting him be more of a defensive end. And then, um, to help shore up the run defense, they're also going big opposite him. So you're going to see guys like Connor Murphy and Drake Jackson be more defensive endy ends there. Um, than they'd been doing in the, where, where they basically they're having a linebacker play that end spot. Now they're actually having defensive linemen play that end spot. And then they're going to bring in, the guys who were recruited as outside linebackers, your Hunter Eccles, Abdul Malik McLean, Elijah Winston, those guys, they're going to bring those in, in what they're calling like a Greyhound package, which is when they're going to, um, oh, I think boo. it's going to be, you one, can come better. Yeah, but you can do better than that. USC, the Greyhound package. I know it's pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> lame. I got to say pretty lame. The flaming uh, lightning think, package. The- <laughs> <laughs> when they take the nickel off the field, they're going to, they're going to uh, mostly for, third down situations where they want to the extra pass rusher, then they're going to put those guys that extra outside linebacker out on the field. But basically they're, they're loading up going bigger up front to, to adjust to honestly what the personnel look like. Uh, it was one of those things where last year it was frustrating because they were trying to do the things that had worked before that clearly weren't working anymore. And they didn't have any answers uh, because the personnel had changed or circumstances had changed. 
So that's one of the the things that hopefully is a good sign this offseason is they're very much moving their offense and defense both in directions where they're going to use the personnel in more natural positions instead of trying to pigeonhole guys into roles that the super athlete that came before them could do, but this guy couldn't do or that guy couldn't do. I wish I wish they would come up with names that would be too awkward for the announcers to say like oh the dirty sanchez package is coming up john what do you think about oh the dirty sanchez is quite quite aggressive steve (laughs) i just what one of these coaches come on get creative you know Uh, i wouldn't put it past somebody that sounds like a mike leachy kind of thing to do (laughs) that's for sure (laughs) so let's talk the uh the trojans have they they project coming into the season as sort of the workhorse projection model that i run they project at number 23 um and that gets them to about 7.82 expected wins, almost eight wins. Um, I actually, I, I think the, I think the projection model might be a little high on USC. I ran a modified one that only had them in the forties. Let me look at that again. They that had, had like had the Clay Helton factor, though, right? Didn't you? Five, yeah, like it, has, it basically has coaching. like a Clay Helton coaching and development <laughs> factor in there that has USC at 45 because they basically underperformed right. their recruiting and returning production numbers and, and their, their prior, you know, their prior performance. They just, um, I don't, I, I sort of don't know what to make of this season in some ways because I, you know, Clay Helton comes in on the hot seat. Um, you know, is, I don't know if I, if I set off the top of my head, if they got to seven wins, I don't think that saves his job. Right. <laughs> Oh, that's a that's the big question, though. I can make an argument that seven wins might save his job, um, but this is me trying to get into Lynn's Do they Swanted. owe someone like a bunch of money that they can't pay buyouts? <laughs> oh, may, you know, they owe several someone. They do. I mean, like, maybe, yeah, and maybe the basketball yeah. coach soon too. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, there's um, yeah, there's some 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 circumstances there, but but that's the thing is USC did just extend him and apparently gave him a ridiculous buyout. Um, oh also, Lynn, Lynn Swan kind of tied his cart to, to Clay Helton. And the way th- th- this is, I agree that if, if he wins seven games next year, I think you, you, I thought USC should just move on. But if, if he wins seven games the next year after spending all fall talking about, well, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, this Notre Dame fixed things and turned around on this. I'm like, okay, fine. If you're going to do the Notre Dame model, then win 10 games. Cause that's what Notre Dame did. So don't, you know, yeah. Don't BS me by telling me Notre Dame and then go out and say that seven wins is good enough. No, you got to go out and win 10 games. So that's the way I look at it. But just sort of parsing Lin Swan's words, um, I think that he might be inclined to be patient. And I think he might have tied his tied himself to Clay Helton. And I think that there's a there's a scenario where seven wins where USC is competitive ish in the Pac-12 South. If USC wins the Pac-12 South, I don't think they're going to get rid of him. Um, I don't know if they can do that with seven wins, but they might get close. And Lin Swan might be able to tell himself, might be able to convince himself, well, you know, there was progress and we'll see what he does next year. Like, I genuinely think that might be in the cards because I don't think that USC is eager to undergo a coaching search after they're going to have to pay out all of these different things, not just paying out their head coach, but the staff that they just hired, um, at least part of the staff that they just hired uh, on top of dealing with all of the other stuff that they're, that they're dealing with at the university level. Like I suspect that Lynn Swan will be looking for an excuse to keep Clay Hilton around another year, but I don't know 
Lin Swan's mind. So this is me sort of projecting out a doomsday scenario. That's why you cut the cord early, Alicia. Like you're USC, you shouldn't compete for the South. You should be dominant in the South. That, it's I mean, ah, trust so me. frustrating. Trust me, that's uh, that's where USC fans are. But it was like again, this is me being the devil's advocate because, like I said, like I thought it was a mistake to hire him in the first place, and it sort of played out that way. Even though he had a couple good years, like it was very clear to me from the get go that he's never going to win a national title here. So what are we, you know, what are we bothering with? Um, which is very much the USC fan mindset, by the way. Uh, but you know, these are also people who are dealing with actual real cash that isn't mine. So I sort of, kind of, can put my myself in their shoes and I can make the same excuses if I really wanted to, even though I don't believe them. I mean, they were set up. I mean, like we talked about this last year that, you know, they, they didn't have a lot of returning offensive production coming into this year. And then they set up for this season, you know, with, with most of the defense leaving. Um, but next year you could talk yourself into, you know, like they have a lot coming. They're going to have a lot coming back on yeah. both sides of the ball. Um, and do you want to make a coaching change the season before you go off to face Nick Saban's Alabama in 2020 to start the season? Well, like, does it come down to because USC? You, I mean, you yes, you measure yourself against the South and whether you're dominating the South or not. But like the Alabama game, but you have Notre Dame every year. That's a that's a measuring stick game. Yeah. You know, if if it's not close again with the Irish. You know, how bad does it get? <laughs> well, that, no, that's a good point. And I think that's a point that uh, my co-host over at Rainer Shore Radio makes a lot uh, about, you know, trying to figure out what win total will be enough or whatever. He's always saying, like, I don't know what win total will be enough, but I do know it's how you get to that win total. So if you, you know, get seven, eight wins, but the four losses that you have are blowouts to Notre Dame, Oregon, um, Stanford, and, you know, throw in whatever else for Utah, like if you're getting blown out by Notre Dame by 50 points again, then yeah, there's going to be much more incentive to, to, to get rid. Uh, if you keep it kind of close and manage seven and five with five close losses, then we're having a different conversation, uh, yeah. then, then nine and three with three of those all being blowouts. So it, it gets very, very complex and very, very complicated. And, and you can sort of like, you can, pen uh, your 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 narrative for the future in a thousand different ways and come up with you know 500 different outcomes based on which game you won which game you lost and how you did and how you didn't well i mean they're measuring six sort of starts that's you know september that third week is september you know you have utah then the next week you have washington and then you got a break but then you go and then you got the irish right i mean yeah if those games are you know, if not, if all of those games are 10 point losses or more, that's pretty, I mean, <laughs> it, yeah. it could get like, I mean, you have any unexpected upsets on the back half of that schedule. Cause they could go on a run on the back half. I mean, you finish with Arizona, Colorado, um, or Oregon, Oregon is, Oregon is a team. I, even though they project, well, I have a lot of questions about, but ASU Cal and UCLA, USC could make some hay on the back half, but you know, they, they have a tough they have a tough stretch right there at the uh, at the end of September. It's very, very I mean, the, the entire September stretch, um, people are actually quite worried about that Fresno State game um, because Jeff Tedford the Jeff has Tedford that team. revenge. Oh, whatever. He's yeah. got yeah, Tedford is all new players, though, like all that nasty yeah, defense was, uh, that beat USC or Oregon, whoever was in that bowl game like they're that they're gone. Yeah, no, they've they've lost a lot of uh, a lot of players, but but you know USC fans aren't feeling super confident right now, so there's some concern 
about that season opener. And I guess my question for like Lynn Swan would be how, like if USC doesn't, th- those first six weeks, if USC goes, I don't know, two and four or worse, one and five, Oof. part of me thinks like USC doesn't want to do another midseason firing. But the other part of me thinks that if Lynn Swan doesn't make the move early, then USC donors are going to start calling the for president's Swan's office. Head, right. Yeah, because they were all they're already calling for Swan's head and they finished out last season flying a banner over the Coliseum saying, you know, please fire Clay Helton. Like I like it's going to get more ugly if if the win total after that first month of the season isn't positive. And Lin Swan, like I, I don't know if there will be pressure on him to just save himself by nixing Helton and then going to, to the new president and saying, you know, hey, give me a chance to hire my own guy and all this kind of stuff. Like there's a lot of weird politics going on as well with the university, but things could get really ugly. And the, the desire to not be the school that once again, fires somebody in late September, um, which <laughs> quite frankly, I'm very tired of, uh, but you know, you, the, the hand may be forced. I'm not going to lie. Like the hand may be forced, but this is why I talk about that seven and five scenario is the doomsday scenario, because I think USC fans, there's a, there's a wing of the USC fan base that, um, I call accelerationists where they hope that USC loses out in September. Yeah, just, so it, off. just get it all done with. Yeah. And I, I, I will admit I've been in that boat at a few times this off season. Uh, the doomsday scenario is that USC makes it through three and three and it's not bad enough to fire Clay Hilton. And then he finishes the season seven and five and, or eight and four. And it's not quite bad enough to just move on, but not quite good enough to make you think like, Oh, he's really turned things around. Like, yeah, it's no, it's, I mean, it's, if, it's if hard Helton, to be yeah. right now. Yeah, but if Helton comes out of that Utah, Washington, Notre Dame stretch one and two, he's probably. I mean, with no blowouts, he's probably saved his job. Like probably. given the back half of the schedule, right? Like, um, I mean, so long as he doesn't lose to BYU or Fresno. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if he loses to Fresno. Ooh, if he loses to Fresno, uh, that's like almost like Lloyd Carr, like dead man walking after I, I mean, state. Like, yeah, I can't. I can't even imagine what life will be like if that happens. Although USC donors and UCLA donors should get together and go bowling because the with the flying the plane over the thing with the banner. I, I always <laughs> have this visual of like those those planes being fueled by just you know shovelfuls of money that they're just burning hundred dollar <laughs> bills to get it over. Like, can you give that to like the homeless or something? I don't know. That's <laughs> essentially guys. essentially how it works. Yeah, um, USC fans tried to get a full page ad out in the LA in the LA Times uh, when they when they did that plane the campaign to raise money for that raised enough money for them to take got a, an ad in the LA times and, um, that it, it didn't happen for what felt like semi nefarious reasons. Does they say someone pocketed it? They're like, Oh, thanks guys. No, <laughs> no, they didn't, they didn't pocket it. It, they, they were basically given the runaround by the newspaper and, um, Whoa. they, the, the newspaper didn't basically gave them the, you know, uh, essentially wouldn't, without saying that they wouldn't, wouldn't run it. Oh, well, yeah. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, that's, that's a whole side drama that happened, but no, I mean, there's some weird, some weird stuff going on with USC. Uh, Rob, you have any other questions for Alicia as we approach the hour mark? 
No, I mean, I, I, as always, it's such a pleasure to have you on because you really know the team so well. So it's uh, it's it's always a good conversation. Oh, thank you. Oh, I appreciate I, it. And I have one more one more question. Then I know you're doing a cool event in Los Angeles. So if you're in the LA area, stay tuned for just a moment. Um, who is who is a freshman that we didn't talk about that you think could make some noise? Because there's always one or two at USC. So who's somebody that's kind of under the radar right now that could really blow up and uh, be somebody that's featured as we watch some of these USC games? Oh, oh, that's a good question. Um, I'll th- I'll give you one on defense and one on offense because right. I won't be able to I won't be able to to whittle this down. I think Adonis Ote, um, a cornerback coming out of um, I want to say he's Georgia, coming out of the South. Um, I think he's my pick to be the the freshman who challenges for a starting or contributing role right away in that secondary that may come out of nowhere. Um, and then on offense, I'm going to go since I know we've got some fe- some fellow tight end lovers. Um, Jude Wolf, Jude Wolf looks like the real deal. Uh, at least he looked like the real deal for like the week of spring camp that he was able to practice before he got injured, uh, which is a very tight endy thing at USC to do. But uh, no, I think that he he's an all around guy who looks like he's already built like a you know junior in college. So I'm very excited to see what he can do, especially just because USC doesn't have a ton of depth at tight end. So, um, I think he's going to see a lot of playing time early. And as a result, he, he could really have a big breakout year as a freshman. Nice. And then you're doing a kind of a, a crosstown rivalry get together with our friends at the what's Bruin podcast, which is an, another great podcast that covers UCLA, uh, football and basketball. So if, if people are in the Los Angeles area, wh- where could they, where could they meet up with you all? Yeah, we're going to be meeting up on Friday at 7 o'clock at Golden Road Brewing, uh, the one in Glendale, not the one in downtown, because uh, I'm now worried that people are going to go to the wrong one. Uh, but, yeah, I guess it's Glendale, Atwater Village, wherever, whatever technicality uh, that, it, that it is. So we're doing that at 7. It's going to be uh, me, my co-host, Michael, uh, Mike from the What's Bruin Show. Hopefully Jake from the What's Bruin Show is going to be able to get out there. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're just having a, a big, uh, big friendly rivalry get-together which should be super fun. And everyone is invited. If you're a, an Arizona fan or a, you know, Oregon fan or whatever else uh, fans that are in the LA area, everyone's uh, welcome to come out. So just come hang out and have a beer and talk football. Yeah. Really good people. They know their stuff. And uh, I know you all, you all like follow Pac-12 football in general. So always fun to talk to other fans. I, I do have one more. I forgot to put you on the spot, Alicia. So that's oh, 7.82 wins. Oh, no. For beta rank. You got the over, you got the under. Oh, no. Don't do this to me. Oh, okay. Um, as I just tweeted, there is nothing like proving that I am an optimist at heart than when I get to mid-July and decide that USC is going <laughs> to win 10 games. Um <laughs> I don't think USC is going to win 10 games, but I am firmly, firmly, firmly believing USC is going to go nine and three. So give me the over. All right. Okay. That's optimistically Alicia talking, by the way. <laughs> don't worry. One of us on this podcast thought Arizona was going to win eight games last year. So, uh, we're- <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Khalil Tate's the real deal though. Yeah, like well, you know, one last year, that's for sure. <laughs> um, and then w- one more thing, Alicia, Alicia, where can people again, f- find you? By the way, you're an excellent follow on Twitter last year. I think it was, 
I forget who it was. There was one of your cornerbacks, maybe it was two years ago, because I, f- I forget which star cornerback it was, but you had tweeted out basically this this like iTunes note, and it was just showing wh- whatever cornerback it was and how many yards they had allowed each star wide receiver of the opposing team, and it was like 30, 45, 52. It was really impressive. Yeah, like, that oh, was e- yeah, that was Iman Marshall. Uh, yeah. Iman Marshall uh, – was uh, was the one who it's like we got halfway into the season and realized like he gave up like 30 yards or less to pretty much every star receiver that he'd faced up to that point it's like no one's talking about this dude and how good of a season he's having because everything else falling apart but yeah no he was uh he was legit but I'm, I'm glad i'm a good i mean in the off season mostly i just talk about like liverpool and food and dogs so Occasionally, I'm a good follow. Hey, but. You and the rest of us. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> where, uh, so where can people follow you? Yeah, my personal Twitter is at Penguin of Troy. Uh, you can also find all the all the USC centric football stuff at Reign of Troy. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty pretty active on on Twitter, and you know, always always love a follow. All right. Well, thank you again for tuning in. Our next podcast is going to be a preview of the Washington schools of the friends of the dog pod. Really excited about that. So stay tuned, follow the podcast on Twitter, uh, at 12 pack radio on Twitter. You can subscribe for free on iTunes, Spotify, tune in radio, you name it. We are there. And Alicia, thank you again for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast as always. Hey. Um, okay, first thing first thing is so you can't you can't hear the soundboard. You can't hear this right now? The sprinkle? No.